Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Let's go ahead and jump into God's Word. We've got a lot to cover. If you would stand with me out of respect for the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Ephesians 2:11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are a blessing, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This February, I will have been at Bible Center for four years. By God's grace, I told you when I came, my goal was to be here for 30 years, and I look forward to the journey that we have together. But in the last four years, I have seen God do some amazing things as He continues to unify you and unify us, the people of God, together around the Word of God. I sense it whenever I'm in meetings, whenever I'm in board meetings, whenever I'm with our staff, whenever I'm with you in your homes or out in the community. I love this unifying work that the gospel is doing in our church. But because we're human, a reminder for unity is something that we're always going to need. And so this morning as I preach this message, I'm hoping that it is a good reminder for us and helps lay a foundation for the unity that we want to preserve, that we want to maintain for the years to come. One of the most common questions in the New Testament is this, how can a church hold itself together when its members are so different from one another? How can a church hold itself together when its members are so different from one another? Now, we see this question really throughout the New Testament. We see it in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. We see the disciples constantly struggling to maintain their unity. It seems like every day they were fighting and fussing about something that Jesus had to point back to their common goal and their common mission. 
Uh, in the book of Acts, as the church grows out of all these different nations and out of all these different cultures, uh, you see various divisions taking place and the Holy Spirit guiding his people. Even Paul and Barnabas had a falling out. Two of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. At a certain point, by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, even they couldn't work together anymore because of the dissension, the Bible says, was so strong between them. Uh, you get to the book of Galatians, or 1 Corinthians is all about division. For 14 chapters, there's division after division. And then God finally says the secret to overcoming division is remembering the gospel, no matter how long you've been a Christian. And I mentioned the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul and Peter uh, had a falling out, but this time it was actually Peter's fault. Peter was trying to use the Mosaic law, trying to teach the church somehow that they were under the old commands and the old law, and Paul had to rebuke him, Galatians chapter 2 says. So there's all this division taking place. And over and over again, God reminds the church that we are unified in Him. This was no different than the church at Ephesus. This young church was facing some clash of cultures. It was facing some division. And so I thought it might be helpful at the beginning of the message just to quickly give you the context to help you understand what was going on then, 1900 years ago, and then you can make the parallel with what goes on in Christianity today. First of all, let's look at the Jews. Before Jesus came, God's special revelation came mostly through the Jewish people. The Jews were God's light to the nations. They were to be a light to the world. People from other nations other than Israel could become followers of God, but essentially when they made the choice to be a follower of God, they became Jewish. You see that in the life of Ruth or the life of Rahab. But Israel failed miserably. Israel over and over again kept turning back to idols. And instead of actually influencing the world around them, the world around them influenced them. And so you get to the point that Jesus comes, there was seemingly a small remnant of believers left. And one of those people who were the remnant uh, were Mary, was Mary, Jesus's mother. Then you get to the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene and preaches a message for all nations. Jesus preaches a message of hope and whosoever. He says, go into all the world, go into every nation and preach the gospel. Baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you got this, this New Testament group of people, many of whom were not Jews, and now they're in church sitting beside people who also wanted to follow Jesus, but they come from a Jewish background. Think of the division and the sparks that would have started to fly because these cultures were so different. The Jews didn't eat certain kinds of meats, but the Gentiles did. The Jews circumcised their baby boys, but the Gentiles didn't. They sang different songs, celebrated different holidays, and lived by different standards. They dressed differently spoke differently and decorated their homes differently. Both would have said, we have a Bible reason for what we do or don't do. They both would have had a Bible reason. They could have found verses to, to prove their case. Can you imagine if they would have had social media back then, the damage that they could have done? Now, I know today we don't have any problems with division, right? In Christianity, 
social media. We don't have any of these problems. But just in case we do, and we know we do, think about how we can apply this passage to our lives today. Think about the the divisions or even the differences of opinion in this room. In this room alone, there's political preferences, music preferences, schooling preferences, views on drinking wine, views on the end times, various views on creation, feelings about how we should celebrate Halloween or not celebrate Halloween, whether we should do a trunk or treat as a church or not do a trunk or treat as a church, different socioeconomic status and different ethnic groups, even right here in Charleston, West Virginia. Now, what some Christians have done throughout the years, throughout the church age, is sometimes they they have acted inappropriately, much like a spouse would act who constantly threatens divorce over the smallest things. If my dinner isn't what I want it to be, if you overcook my dinner, I might get a divorce. Or sometimes Christians have acted like children who don't get the toy that they want from Walmart, and so they throw a temper tantrum if things don't go their way. And so I think you would agree with me. God invites us to something better than that. God invites us to a place of unity, a place of love and peace and harmony and forgiveness. And that's what this text is all about. In the next few minutes, I'm going to give you four principles, four things that God calls this church to remember in order to maintain their unity in a multicultural environment. And so if you like taking notes, you can take notes in the app or you can take notes in your bulletin. I'm going to give you these same four principles, and I'm convinced they will help us maintain our unity in our multicultural environment. You say, well, Matt, why are you so passionate about this, this subject? Well, first of all, it's right in our text. And so as we're going through this this week, my eyes were just open to the similarities that we face even in 2019 But first of all, I'm concerned and I'm burdened that we honor the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us He is in our midst. He hears what we say. He knows what we think. And so let's do this first and foremost for Jesus. But let's also do it for our joy. Uh, There are some of you, bless your heart, you're going through some suffering right now. You're walking through some really, really deep valleys And so it's hard for you to be joyful. It's hard for you to even be happy. And we totally get that. But there are others of you that maybe it's not because of suffering, but it's just because you're just always mad at something, right? People around you see it. People around you know it. You're constantly mad. You're constantly wanting to argue or fight about something. And and as your pastor, I want your joy. I want you to experience the fullness of the life that God has intended for you. I'm preaching this message for our kids. I want our kids as they grow up in this church and and as our students grow up, as they hear the conversations in the hallways or in our homes, I want them to think church is a great place because it is a great place. And I'm also preaching this message for our city. You know, our city hears what we talk about, right? Our city is there in the lunchroom at work or in the break room. Our city is friends with us on social media. They see all the things we fuss and fight about. And so I'm preaching this message for all those reasons. And I'm praying that God would use this to even spark a sense of revival among the Bible Center family and maybe even among the greater church at large. So how can we, as a church, hold ourselves together when our members 
are so different from one another. Quickly, four principles. Number one, here at Bible Center, we will emphasize the cross, not our conflicts. We will emphasize the cross, not our conflicts. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember. Remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. He's talking about Jews and non-Jews. He just uses a very pictorial way to describe it. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Again, he's talking about that division that I've already described. That's what was going on in this particular church. But notice verse 13, but now. We saw it last week when God says, but now, or but God about something. It's like he's getting ready to tell us the complete opposite. He wants our attention. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He says it a different way in verse 16 in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. If you're new to church, if you're new to the faith, everything that we believe ultimately points back to the cross. You see, we were born, all of us were born, we were created by God, designed by God, But we know that we haven't always followed the ways of God. Every one of us were born into sin. We're not sinners because we sin, right? We sin because we're sinners. And sin has broken us from the inside out. Even the most moral person in this room is broken by sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Think about what you did this week. Think about what you thought this week. Think about what you wish you could have done if you could have got away with it this week. The Bible calls that sin. Sin has broken us. So Jesus came not just to be a good example. Jesus came for your sin and for mine. He came to save us from that. You know, Jesus lived the perfect life. He couldn't have just been born on Thursday or come to earth on Thursday, died on Friday and rose again on Sunday and accomplished our salvation. The Bible says he had to live a full life. He had to be proven as the perfect spotless lamb of God. And so he did that. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never, ever live. He never sinned, even though he experienced all the types of temptation that we experience. And Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And he gives us his spirit right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit living within you. And it transforms us day over day, day in and day out. I'll ask you this. Are Christians perfect people? Yes or no? No, absolutely not, right? We're not perfect, but we are being transformed. The gospel, those of us that have really decided to follow Jesus, the word of God is transforming us and changing us. And one day when God makes all things new, the new heavens and the new earth, we too will be fully restored. No more tears, no more temptation, no more sin, no more heartache, no more cancer, fully restored. All of that happens because of the cross. 
That's why Jesus died. But this morning's message is for Christians. And I think about that quote by David Platt. He said, unity in the church is so important that Jesus died for it. Unity in the church is so important that Jesus died for it. Here in this passage, Paul points to the one reason that we can have unity, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, there is now one people. Where there used to be a dividing line, there is now peace. Where there used to be two groups separated, now there is one group, one people, and no one group has more access to God than the other. So here at Bible Center, we're going to focus on the cross, not our conflicts. That's how we'll begin to maintain unity. Number two, how else do we maintain unity? We'll emphasize our oneness, not our walls. We'll emphasize our oneness, not our walls. Notice verse 14 with me. Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. We're going to emphasize our oneness, not our walls. I'll tell you a little bit about what it's talking about here. In the Old Testament times, at the temple... Again, you could be a non-Jew, which we call Gentile. You could be a Gentile and still go to the temple. Again, a number of believing Gentiles are recorded in the Old Testament. But if you were a Gentile, you could only go so far in the temple court, and then you had to stop. There was a 10-foot high wall made of thick brick and block. You could not pass through this particular gate if you were a Gentile. There was a sign that was chiseled in Greek and Latin, and it was etched in red ink that said this, any Gentile, think about this out front of our church, any Gentile entering beyond this wall will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. Now, that wasn't very seeker friendly, right? There were no donuts and coffee. They weren't like, hey, come on, more people. No, it was, you come beyond this point. You're a Gentile, you are going to die. And the Jewish believers really believed that there was a sense of uncleanness to you if you were not Jewish. But here Paul says that Christ broke down that wall spiritually. The wall was still standing whenever Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. It didn't get destroyed until later. But Paul says even though it's still standing, it's null and void. Outside of Jesus, there's only one kind of people, sinners, Inside of Jesus, there's only one kind of people, saints. There's no more wall between us, but there's oneness to those who are followers of Christ. He continues in verse 15. Halfway through verse 15, he says, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That's important to remember, one new humanity. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. This was the fulfillment to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. This new humanity, there was going to be saved people from Israel, the Jews, and saved people from the nations, the Gentiles. And in God's family, one is not more important than the other. But we all come together to make up the body of Christ in this age. Verse 17. 
He came, that's Jesus, and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. I've read verses 17 and 18 at least dozens of times in my life. And this week, it just jumped off the page. What he's saying is this. Just as there was community, really think with me, eternal community in eternity past between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there was love and friendship and camaraderie and grace and unity in eternity past in the Trinity. He says, God gave you, us, the church, all of that unity the moment we put our faith in him. We don't have to work for this unity. We already have it. It's a gift. It's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also through those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one even as we are one. So the wall has been torn down spiritually and physically. Here's Paul's challenge. Christian, don't rebuild the wall that's not necessary. Don't build up walls in your life that don't need to be there between you and other believers. Paul's using the image of the wall still. So I'll ask you this question. What are your walls? What line does someone have to cross as a follower of Jesus before you build up the wall? Hey, what would happen? Just, just pure chance. What would happen if at Bible Center you're worshiping Jesus and a registered Democrat sat down beside you? I mean, just imagine the audacity, right? Or what if a registered Republican sat down beside you? You're like, oh my goodness, no, not a, yes. Hey, even worse, there's some independence here. You know, the compromisers that can't decide which way they want to go. I'm totally kidding, right? It was supposed to be a funny joke, but it fell flat in the first service too. <laughs> what if somebody sat beside you who had different music preferences than you? I mean, what if in this church there's someone who thinks our music is too rocky, even in this service? Or what if there's someone in this church, your church, who thinks the music is still just too docile, it's too quiet, it's too, too calm? What if someone in this church sends their children to a school different than you? What if they send their children to Christian school? Would you be okay worshiping with them? What if they send their kids to public school? Or what if they're homeschooled? What, what if someone came in this church and became part of this family who actually thinks it's okay to drink wine with dinner? Or what if someone comes into this church family who, who thinks that it's not okay and they can give you Bible reasons why they believe it's not okay? Are you okay being a part of church where people have different feelings and opinions? Are you okay being a part of a church that doesn't really, someone maybe in the church, someone maybe doesn't really care when Jesus is going to return? They just want him to return soon. And they don't get caught up in charts and graphs and timelines. They just say, even so come Lord Jesus. But if that's you, are you okay attending a church with people who keep the charts and graphs and timelines in their back pocket? 
and can flip them out at a moment's notice. Are you okay being in church with people like that? Because that's what the church is. There's lots of different opinions. Are you okay being in a church with someone who believes the earth is really only 6,000 years old? Or are you okay being in a church with someone who believes that the earth is a little bit older than 6,000 years old? What if you were in a church where parents actually let their kids celebrate Halloween? Or even to a church that would host a trunk or treat? But those of us who are, who are excited about trunk or treat, are we okay being in a church and accepting of people who maybe feel as though they're just quietly, they don't want their children to participate in trunk or treat? Are we okay with that? You see, that's what Paul's talking about. Different preferences and different opinions. Are you okay being in a church with someone who makes five times more money than you do? Or what if it's about someone who makes five times less than you do? What if they have a different skin color, a, a different ethnicity? What if they come from a different background than you? Here's my encouragement today. Love people more than you love being right. Love people more than you love your culture or your preferences. I love the old adage of the church, and no one really knows where it started, but it says this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Let me read you a verse from Jesus' half-brother James. James writes this. He says, "Be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to tweet. <laughs> Just trust me, it's in the Greek language. It's really, it really is there. May God help us to emphasize our oneness, not our walls. Number three, how else can we maintain this unity? Number three, emphasize unity, not uniformity. Emphasize unity, not uniformity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 says this, In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Here at Bible Center we will emphasize our unity, not uniformity. Some of you work in construction some of you men and women, you're, you're good with your hands and you like to build things. I typically like to put pictures up that relate to my life. It allows me just to kind of give you a window into my life, but there really are no pictures of me doing this kind of work. And so I had to go get one from stock images. You wouldn't want me building very many things. But those of you who, who do build, you, you know that a house, for instance, is made up of a lot of different pieces, different types of materials, different lengths of materials. Wood and windows, shingles and siding, brick and block. The materials are all different, but they fit together to make something beautiful, safe, and welcoming. And in the church, we are all different, and that's okay. But we fit together to make something beautiful, safe, and welcoming. Next fall, a year from now, we're going to do, by God's grace, a verse by verse through the last three chapters of Romans. And one thing I've been blessed by, Romans 14, 15, and 16, is that God never tells everybody to have the same opinion. 
You see, like if I were writing the Bible, just maybe it's my age, it's my, it's my point of view, maybe places that we've lived, I had the tendency to be like, hey, let's just all have the opinion, which is basically no opinion over anything that's not a core issue. That's kind of my default mode. But you know, that's not what God says. God even says, you be fully persuaded in your own mind. You have your opinion, but be okay letting somebody else have a different one. That's Romans 14, 15 and 16. This isn't in your notes, but if you're jotting things down, if it helps you, here's some practical ways to live this out. Three things, really quick. Number one, when God's Word speaks clearly about an issue, obey it. When God's Word speaks clearly about an issue, obey it. So what I'm not preaching today is this. I am not preaching, hey, you know what? If you think lying is okay, go ahead and lie. You know, if you don't think lying's okay, then, 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 you know, or lying's a big deal, then don't let it be a big deal. Um, we can all just get along no matter whatever our view is on lying. That's not what I'm preaching. When God's word is clear on an issue, obey it, right? Lying is sin. We're, we're going to declare sin when the Bible declares sin. But here's our second point. When God's word isn't clear, do what you believe best honors Jesus. When God's word isn't clear, do what you believe best honors Jesus. And number three, give others the freedom to think differently than you. Give others the freedom to think differently than you. In Romans 14, God calls, uses one word to describe that. He calls that maturity. Maturity isn't all agreeing. Maturity is giving one another the freedom to agree to disagree over issues that are not core to the gospel. Here at Bible Center, we're going to emphasize our unity, but we are not going to emphasize uniformity. We want you to be you and to be different, and this beautiful mosaic will give us a better picture of Christ. There's one more way, and we'll be done. What is that fourth and final way? Number four, here at Bible Center, we will only build our unity around what is clear and essential to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will only build our unity around what is clear and essential to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Here it is. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We build our unity only around what is clear and essential to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two questions. Are there gray issues among Christians around the world? Are some issues gray? Like, are some issues a matter of opinion? Yes or no? What do you think? Yes, absolutely, yes. There's gray issues. But are there some issues that are black and white? Yes, absolutely. So I saved this for last, even though it wasn't last in the text, because I want us to remember that there are some black and white issues. There are some issues that hinge or they're built or they're connected to the cornerstone of Christ. And if you were to remove these issues, you would, these truths, you would actually be removing part of the gospel. And so we don't want to remove those truths. 
We want to emphasize those truths. And as a church, we want to get deeper in those truths. We want to have more robust doctrine that helps us learn these truths about our great God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 23. He said there are some things more important than others. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Those of you who are members of Bible Center, you've heard us in the last few member meetings. Our chairman of our elders has talked about this project we've been working on for about a year. And it's probably going to take us another year, year and a half to roll it out and teach it in our church. We've actually been in the process of making our member statement of faith, our doctrine, making it more robust. We want to emphasize what the church has emphasized for 2,000 years, what people have been willing to give their lives for. And we want to make sure we're a church that doesn't emphasize what, what God's Word or the church hasn't historically emphasized. And so I'm really, really excited in the coming months, by God's grace, when our elder board is, when we are ready, we'll be rolling out and teaching on more on God's Word, more on the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, more on creation, more on angels and demons, more on humanity, more on the fallen effects of sin, deeper about salvation, deeper about the church, deeper about last things, and deeper about unity. Because we believe we should only build our unity around what is clear and essential to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This fellow on the screen closed with this. His name is John Newton. Good looking guy. I love his haircut. John Newton lived in the late 1700s. He died in 1808. But he wrote Amazing Grace. You've sung Amazing Grace. Most of us have. He wrote Amazing Grace. But there were other things he wrote that were equally, maybe even more important to the church. And this week I was going back through some of his letters. And many of his letters, I mean, they're not scripture because they're not inspired, but man, they're right there. They're so good to read and they're helpful for us. I've summarized it in this service, but I want to read you just a portion of a letter that he wrote either in the late 1700s or in the early 1800s before he died. It was to a Christian brother, a Christian brother who uh, was a publisher, was about to publish a story being negative and critical about another Christian brother. And he was going to publish the story. But instead, he wrote John Newton, and he asked John Newton for his advice about whether or not he should publish the story. So in other words, he was going to get critical, kind of like social media before there was social media. And this is what John Newton told him. He said, Dear Sir, as you are likely to be engaged in controversy, to prevent you, prevent you from being wounded, I present you with three considerations. Number one, be, consider your opponent. Before you set pen and paper against him, commend him by prayer to the Lord's teaching and blessing. This practice will have great 
have a great tendency to draw your heart to love him, and such a disposition will have a good influence upon every page you write. Deal gently with him for my sake. The Lord loves him. You must not despise him from the sense as much as forgiveness you need for yourself. Listen to this. In a little while, you will meet in heaven. Because this other guy was also a Christian. He will then be dearer to you than the nearest friend you have on earth is to you now. Anticipate that period in your thoughts and view him as a kindred soul. So number one, consider your opponent. Number two, consider the public. He writes this, by printing this story, you will appeal to the public. There are many who pay little regard to religion. They are very incompetent judges of doctrine, but they can form a tolerable judgment of a writer's spirit. They know that meekness, humility, and love are the characteristics of a Christian temper, and they are quick to discern when we deviate from such a spirit. In other words, sometimes unsaved people say they don't believe in Jesus, say they don't believe the Bible, but often they're the first to notice when we don't act like Jesus. You ever notice that? It's like God has written that truth somewhere on their hearts. And then number three, he says, consider yourself. Finally, consider your own concern in your present undertaking. We find but a very few writers of controversy who have not been hurt by it. In other words, if you post the story, you're going to get hurt the most. He says, either they grow in a sense of their own importance or they get angry and they develop a contentious spirit or they insensibly withdraw their attention from those things which are the food and immediate support of the life of faith. Think of this. This blows me away. 220 years old letter. He says this, they spend their time and strength upon matters which are at most but of a secondary nature. He says, these are the people who are always fighting and fussing about things that do not relate to the gospel. And then he closes the letter with this. If we act in a wrong spirit, we shall bring little glory to God. We'll do little good to our fellow creatures, and we'll neither honor nor bring comfort to ourselves. If you can be content with showing your wit and gaining the laugh on your side, you have an easy task. But I hope you have a far nobler aim, sensible of the importance of gospel truth. I would rather, think of this in our current age, I would rather you be a means of removing prejudices in a single instance than to obtain the empty applause of thousands. That was 220 years ago, but it could be published and read in the paper today. Here's my encouragement to you. Let's together decide that we will emphasize the cross, not our conflicts. Let's, let's decide today that we're going to emphasize our oneness, not our walls, and that we're going to emphasize our unity without demanding uniformity. Let's determine that we're only going to build our unity around what is clear and essential to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced if we do, we will saturate our city with the gospel. Once again, 
Thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.